0: Well, good morning. Good to see ya. Woo! Y'all got up at some point. Praise the Lord, that's good. It's good to see ya. You are going to be blessed today because we are in one of the most rich passages in the entire book of Colossians. And this is one of those easy ones that make pastors look good, so I like these. You're going to go by and you're going to go, wow, that was brilliant. Well, I didn't write any of it. So uh, this is all uh, Paul and Jesus. Um, but I did have a couple quick announcements just to back up what Pastor Parnell has said. And um, that is that there are many Easter's where we kind of go, man, we're going to be with family. We're going to kick back and chill. This is not one of those years. This is a working Easter. All right, a work in Easter. That means that we're going to be together as a family, but we're family on mission, right? That means that we're all going to serve together and hang together and minister together and love on other people together. So I would sure hope that you kind of set that into your calendar, set that expectation just with the kiddos, that we're kind of all going to be together and doing different things for the Lord. One of the fun things is having the kids be greeters. You know, there's nothing cooler than getting a bulletin from a little kid. That's awesome. They all smile at you like they know Jesus better than you. It's awesome. Right? And they probably do. All right. Um, One other quick announcement before we begin, and that is we have the Ask Pastor Lance right after this. Once again, that is that Q&A time. Uh, If you have questions about whatever it is, uh, the only rule that I have is that you need to care about the answer. All right. If you care about the answer, then I care about the answer. Uh, So by all means, if you want to hang out afterwards, Pastor Brian and I will be doing uh, the Ask Lance together. All right, that is it on announcements. Let's take out our Bibles and our handout sheet that was given to us at the front door and we can begin. We are in part 8 of our Purposeful Christianity series, and that is line by line through the book of Colossians. I entitled today's message, it's time to grow up. Boy, that sounds like a drag. So, let me just begin by sharing a little bit of something that I went through yesterday that maybe would speak to your heart uh, growing up, one of the things that were fun about my testimony in my childhood is that when we didn't have a whole lot of money, my mom used to take me and my sister to Paul's Christian supplies. Anybody remember where Paul's Christian supplies was? That's a little, uh, Christian bookstore that was locally. And she, we didn't have a ton of money. So she'd say, you can pick out one thing And so I used to run around the store and look for new things and and basically gave me the freedom to look for something with the Lord that meant something to me as opposed to my mom trying to pick it out for me. And so I made sure to pick the one thing that she would never want to pick out. Right. It was either comic books or it was heavy metal music or it was something that she was like, oh, goodness. Right. So I would I would that was a big part of how I grew up in the Lord, where I got a chance to have him minister to me where I was at. Well, she carried on that tradition with my daughters. So she would take them to Family Christian Stores, and they would pick something out when they go out on little dates together. Well, did you all know that Family Christian Stores is closing? Did you all know that nationwide it's all closing? And uh, so that's you know what five thousand employees, two hundred and eighty some odd stores, so they're all gonna, they're all closing. And so my mom invited our whole family. She said, "I have some gift cards, and I would love to take you guys to Family Christian Stores in Folsom. Why don't you guys uh, you can all pick something, a whole bunch of stuff out because she had a bunch of gift cards." So. We all went there, and one of the things that, that, that I picked out, was an audio book on CD. Anybody know what CDs are? Uh, I know that they're no longer around. I understand that. But they used to be they're round, and you just kind of slide them right into the thing. Anyway, so uh, I got an audio book on CD, and it was A.W. Tozer's Pursuit of God, right? That just makes me sound smart. You understand what I'm saying? So I I got the the audio book because I kind of wanted to be fired up for the Lord, and A.W. Tozer is a wonderful author. He was a guy that ministered in the south side of Chicago in nineteen forties, so he has passed away anyway so i I got this book and and I, as I was driving to church yesterday. I wanted to get my head in the game. I wanted to prepare my heart for worship and so I pop in the audiobook. Now, when they read those audiobooks, they read all the book, which is basically all the stuff you skip when you first buy a book. Right? You know, you kinda jump through and go, Yeah, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the first chapter. Well, they he reads all that stuff. So as he's reading, he was reading stories about A.W. Tozer, stories from A. W. Tozer before it even began. And it was talking a lot about his ministry. And what I found was that there was two simultaneous dialogues going on in my head as I was driving in my car on the way to church. One of them was what I was looking for. And that was conviction and excitement and a call to be spurred on to go deeper with the Lord. That's really what I wanted. I wanted to focus on the Lord and talk about pursuing His heart. Problem is, is that there was another dialogue going on all at the same time, and it was a louder voice than the first one, and it was the voice of condemnation. I had conviction on one side, which is healthy, and I had condemnation on the other side. And the condemnation looked something like this. Well, that's interesting. All these people are talking about Tozer and he's laying on his face before God for hours. You know, Lance, you don't do that. You know, Lance, he was a type of pastor that was so per- passionate about God, he wouldn't let anyone or anything else get in the way. You know, you're not like that. You know, as a matter of fact, he pastored for 30 years in this area, and he was completely dedicated to this or that or the other thing, and he wasn't willing to compromise in these things. And you know what, Lance, you're not that. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure why, Lance, you're in, you're in ministry. And I was listening to this dialogue of condemnation spin, and I was watching a war happen in my car. And it was a bummer because it kind of wrecked my whole vibe, man. I was trying to, was trying to get into the Lord, and it was like, "Ah, oh, come on, Now I feel worse than when I started stupid CD," you know I thought. <laughs> and this is, And so when I came, I was praying with my prayer team beforehand, and uh, Rick was there, and Tracy was there, they were praying over me, and Tracy said, "You know, what if you went through that as, as an example of what people hear at church? And, and here's what I would like to share with you. Whatever pastors are up here, Pastor Parnell could preach, Pastor Brian could preach, I I can preach, whatever, whoever's up here, we are trying to lean towards growth for you. We are trying to lean into encouragement, exhortation, and we're trying to lean into challenge and conviction. What we are not trying to do is condemnation. And if you hear condemnation in a message, one of two things has occurred. Either number one, we messed up. Or number two, you got the enemy messing with your head because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Conviction is awesome because it drives us forward into the Lord. Condemnation does nothing but tear down. This place is not a place for condemnation. I need you to know that. And so what I wanted to do as we begin together is just pray over our minds and our hearts, because maybe some of you have fallen prey to that too. Maybe you have a couple dialogues going on. Maybe some of one part of you is going, man, I love this message. It's awesome. The other ones are going, man, every time I hear him talk about more things I need to do, I just feel like quitting. I just need you to understand one of those is from the Lord and one of those is from the enemy. Can we just pray over our minds for a moment? Let's just do that. Holy Spirit, we are in your house. We are on your territory. And I just pray that you would send an army of angels to surround this campus, that everything that happens in this place would be praising and glorious to you. I pray, Lord, it's not just us adults here who have our minds protected, but the little babies in the back. That, Lord, that as they're being held by people that love them, Father, that they would be infused with peace and joy. I pray, Lord, for the youth who are in their events and their uh, service God, that every single one of them would only hear the voice of you, Lord, that they would not hear the voice of the enemy. We come against condemnation in the name of Jesus Christ, and we say you have no place here, no part here. So enemy, any assignments you have here are broken in the name of Jesus. This is holy ground. So God, may you be glorified. Protect us as we hear your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and take out our Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. Here we go. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank here in a moment. Uh, But I want to begin, obviously. I I I want to lead in with some thoughts. Here's the thoughts. I believe that the modern day American church has been given much, but we use very little. We've been given much, but we use very little. Here's what I mean. I mean, in our wealth. We have access to the best of all things. We can get on the internet and we have access to the best teachers, not only worldwide, but time-wide, is that if you want to hear a message that's probably designed better than any other message, you can go find it. You don't just get to hear from local teachers, you don't get to just hear from American preachers, you can hear from people all over the world. As a matter of fact, they don't even have to be alive. You can go into archives and you can see transcripts from Spurgeon. You can listen to things from Edwards. You can, you can listen to these very rich and powerful speakers and you can glean all that they have. The way that our, our democracy and our capitalism has worked as it's fed into the church is that we even have competition amongst Christian businesses that have battled each other to hone and to hone and to hone and to narrow down what is the best Bible study and how is it best received and how is it best produced so if you want to grow in any area you have it at your fingertips and that is good don't get me wrong that is a beautiful thing we are blessed to be living in a time such as this but if we do not use what we have been given it is like leaving gas in a gas tank for years It becomes a corrosive agent. Here's what I would say. If we allow church to simply be a place where we receive information and do nothing with it, one of two things is going to happen at least. The first one is your Christianity will be boring and you'll quit. That's it. You will eventually walk away from church. Why? Because church was designed to be engaging. Church was designed to be a refresh when you have been ministering all week long. Church is designed in such a way that you're supposed to use your gifts here. You're supposed to be able to engage and use everything you learn. The, the point of Christianity is that it's supposed to be downloaded from the Lord and it's supposed to go firing right out of your spirit. His grace should flow into you and you should cascade onto other people. His love should cascade into you and you should cascade onto other people. We have to use what we've been given. But here's the other problem. If you view church as merely a place to receive information, you're going to switch churches a lot. Why? Because what you're doing is you're saying, I want to be discipled by that speaker guy. And what you think disciple means is... I need to learn new stuff from you. The problem is, is even if you get the best, even if you get the best preacher who digs into the word and and it's always fresh and and that person's learning and so they're bringing you fresh bread that they just got from the Lord, at some point, it's gonna get dull because at some point, the analogies are not new. You keep hearing the same stories and over time, they basically run out of material And so they start recycling and then you start going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that one. And then you'll just move to the next church because although it's not new to that congregation, it's new to you. And then you go, oh, this is new and this is fresh. And then you start to learn again. But the reason why pastors tend to want to stay in churches is because they're utilizing their gifts and the stuff that they're getting, they're using. When you put it into play, everything changes. Because now all of a sudden, church is a place where you're working it out. And I want that to be for everybody. I don't want that just to be for the paid folks. I don't want it just to be the people that are on lay staff. I want it to be for everyone in church. When you come in here, you should be eager to go, how do I get to use what God just gave me this week? Maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's a new message. Maybe it's just a prayer for somebody else. Maybe it's that you're praying for me while you're here in this congregation trying to keep me uplifted so the enemy doesn't sidetrack me. Maybe you're an intercessor. Maybe you're one that has the gift of helps. Maybe you're an administrator. I don't know what it is that God has planted within you, but I really think we need to use it. The other thing has kind of been a, an eye-opening for me over the last couple of years, you all know that uh, there's stuff that you know in the Bible and then every once in a while a little light bulb comes on and you're like, really? I thought I knew this my whole life. Okay, I have a lot of those. Well, they just bing and you're like, really? At 46? Awesome. Okay, So, first of all, maturity is a command in scripture. Do we all know that, right? It says you need to grow up. That's why we have this message. So there is no such thing in Christianity as saying we're going to be babies forever. That's not correct. We all need to grow up. It's just healthy and it's normal. But here's the aha moment that I had. Do you realize that Jesus Christ handed over the entire Christian church to three-year-old Christians? Chewing that one for a while. And not only that, but they were kind of knuckleheads. Here's why. Because here's the deal. How do I know there were three-year-old Christians? Because Jesus went public at 30, died at 33. There were no Christians before Jesus went public. Why? Because his name's in it. Y'all tracking with me? There were no Christians before Christ. All right. So in other words, they've only been in the Lord three years. And Jesus goes, I'm out. It's all on you. You guys take it and run the ball from here. That is a terrible idea. I would put those guys through like 30 more cycles of discipleship before I would hand over the church to them. But Jesus did not. And here's the funny thing. The big dog, the guy that's supposed to take charge and be the boss man, trips over the finish line. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, Peter the head of the group denies Jesus three times. In other words, it's right when they're getting to the launch point, they're still a mess. By the time we get post-resurrection, they're hiding in a room with a door locked out of fear of the Jews. So in other words, they're not exactly uber-equipped and ready to go. And you go, yeah, well, they had the Holy Spirit. You remember Pentecost. (laughs) You ready for a spoiler alert? you have the Holy Spirit. Come on. Right? So, so this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I don't know how old you are in the Lord, but some of you are older than three years old in the Lord. So let's say it's all on you. Let's go. Right? And you go, well, how could he do that? Because God knows that he's the one directing and guiding his church. He's the one that knows all things. He's the one that is the head of the body. So we're to be obedient to him and we carry out his will. We're not simply trying to think up brand new strategies and new ideas. Our goal is to be obedient to the Lord. And I need you to understand that historically and all over the world and the globe right now, you have far more training than most pastors being planted throughout the world. Why? Because you've simply gone to a church and you have a Bible accessible to you. Okay, there's an awful lot of churches being planted in other countries where they're brand new saved, and it's just like early Christianity. They just got rolling, and they're out there pumping, and you're going, man, that's dangerous. There could be heresy, and there could be... Yeah! Uh, do you know how complicated the early church was? I mean, it, they were even going for a while, and and Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly, and there was this problem, and that problem, and there was... Right? But they were using what they were given. And it changed the planet. The goal of Bridgeway is maturity for all believers. The goal of Bridgeway, we have said in our mission statement, is to bring the wholeness of Jesus Christ to a broken world. Can we do that? Yes, we can. Why? Because it's in Jesus. The wholeness of Jesus. Well, Here's what I mean by maturity. I do not mean perfection. I do not mean the most brilliant. I mean, are you healthy and mature enough to minister to others that's what i mean are you healthy and strong enough to be able to care about what else is going on in other people's lives or is your self-created drama so much that it's always about you are you able to be mature and healthy enough to invest in other people that's what we're looking for and we want that for every single person at bridgeway the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is simply this maturity is expected of every believer Maturity is expected of every believer. Are you hearing conviction? Or are you hearing condemnation? Because what I'm about to share with you in Colossians is all the reasons why the Holy Spirit is saying, not only is this possible, folks, this is going to happen because I will give you everything you need for life and godliness. God has given us so much. What I want you to do is be encouraged that He is the one empowering you, that He is the one Growing you up, and you're going to be just fine. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what Paul said, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving what did he say? Just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, have you? Because I don't know if you have, cause here's the deal. I don't know anybody's spiritual life. I don't know the hundreds of folks that are online right now. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't even know the front row. I don't know what anyone is doing with the Lord. So have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? And you say, well, what do you you mean by that? Well, the Bible says that if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's called the gospel. The gospel of basic facts are simple. Jesus is legit. God came among us. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was dead, dead, came back up. And went to the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us now. Those are the facts. There you go. It's not complicated. But what it says is that the Father loved you so much he sent his Son. The Son loved you so much he died for your sins. The Holy Spirit loved you so much he came and lived within you. The love of God is to surround you and compel you to say, are you ready to own up to who you are? We're all broken, we're all messed up, we're all rebels, we're all sinful. And he's saying, listen, you've got to own up to this because I'm here to rescue you. If you don't think you need rescue, I guess I'm not your savior. But if you need rescuing, I am ready. Just give me the word and I will lift you right out of that pit and I will wash you clean and I will make sure that you are with me forever. If you have not done that, then it seems awfully foolish to talk about the blessings of being a child of God if you're not a child of God. So that would break my heart. If anybody within the sound of my voice has not yet received, because you understand that's a loaded term. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, do you understand what you just said? You are not allowed to call Jesus Christ unless he's your savior. Why? Because Christ is not his last name. Christ is the title. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. If he is not that to you, why are you using Christ? You can call him Jesus, but don't call him Christ. And you can't call him Lord if you don't do what he says. The Bible actually said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet still do not do what I say? Why? Because Lord means you're the boss of me. If I ain't the boss of you, I ain't the boss of you. So stop using the word Lord. But if you can say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and you can say that and know that that is true, I just need you to understand the incredible implications of that and the blessings that are coming in. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. So it says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now you've got to walk in him. In other words, there's no such thing as Christianity simply on the weekends. Christianity is to be lived out It's kind of a jesus in all that you do Like like what would jesus do concept, right? So it's jesus in the cubicle jesus in the school jesus in the target jesus in the gas station, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about. It's living it out every day It's jesus in your decision making it's jesus when you're home alone. It's it's jesus in your thought life. It's it's jesus everywhere And are we walking it are we living it? he said as you've received Christ Jesus the lord now you you got to walk in him because you have been rooted You know what that word rooted means? I mean, it's just what you thought. It's like a tree. It's that Jesus took you and planted you at conversion. And He's you're locked in Him in the very nutrient-rich soil of God. And then it says the living water the Holy Spirit is in that water table coming up through that root system, making you strong and stable and powerful and constantly feeding you and you're producing fruit. That is who you are. But it's not done. He's not done. There's more. Why? Because the Bible says you're also being built up in him what does that mean that's an architectural term that means that yeah you got this great foundation but every day there's more every day god is adding to you and making more beautiful and transforming you and changing you that's how you and I are becoming more to look like jesus christ every day it's him getting rid of the old man and putting on the new man it's him getting rid of the grave clothes and putting on the the white robe it's him making you more like him therefore you've received christ jesus as lord and man you gotta walk in him why because you are rooted you are built up in him and you are established locked in the faith just as you were taught so what do we got to do we got to be abounding in thanksgiving well you'll notice the christianity that we teach here at bridgeway says that christianity is far less about trying to be a better person and more about discovery of what Jesus has done for you. It's an identity renewal. It's that you're walking every day in thanksgiving. Why? Because if you only focus on what you're not doing and focusing on your efforts, there's not a whole lot of thanksgiving that's going to come out of anywhere. But if you discover every day, whoa, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Wow, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for refreshment. Thank you, Lord, for friends and fellowship and a church. Thank you, Lord. When you're constantly discovering every day, you're in a constant state of awe, receiving the glories that God has given you. Here's the way to look at it. The more you get it, the more thankful you are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Here's what he says. Let's keep moving forward. He said, if that's the case, verse 8, Y'all need to see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's how I'm going to receive this. We can sit there and debate the initial context, and y'all know I'm a big deal about that, right? But here's what I'm going to focus on. A couple things. Number one, see to it no one hijacks your faith. That's a command. That means that's on you you need to see to it, no one hijacks your faith. I don't care if they're coming at you from a humanistic philosophy perspective. I don't care how mind bending and brilliant they are. It's not going to lead anywhere good. Let's sit there and talk about Nietzsche, right? And everyone's going, you've mispronounced that. I know, but I'm, I'm American. So (laughs) I mispronounce everything. So here, it's the god is dead dude. You all realize that that philosopher he was brilliant. He's way smarter than I'll ever be. And he died in an insane asylum. Why? Because when you take god out of the mix, you're either in absurdity or you're in fatalism. You got nothing. So I don't care how brilliant the arguments are and they can sit there and mess with your mind. You read the stuff and you're like, "Man, now I don't believe in god." and now you're all by yourself. Okay, so I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's from the world. I don't care if it's from the supernatural. If, if weird supernatural stuff and demons and everything are, are messing with your head, what I'm saying is you've got to see to it, nobody gets to hijack your faith. Amen? And that that means that we got to make sure, it's not that we don't learn, it's not that we don't have our our minds open, it's not any of that. What it's saying is, when we're getting to the core of theology of Jesus, nobody gets to mess with that. We begin with Jesus, we end with Jesus. Jesus is the deal. The whole Bible that we get all fascinated about, and you all know I'm kind of like a Bible nut, right? So this whole thing is really supposed to talk about someone in every page. We don't need to be Bible addicts as much as we need to be Christians. Living it out. Hmm. Verse 9. Why is Jesus the big deal? Why are we focusing on him so much? Because verse 9, there you go. One of the most powerful theological statements in the entire Bible. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What's that? The whole trinity is revealed. The person of Jesus. And, and, and what it's saying is that the Godhead, the, the the fullness of God, you got to see in Jesus. How are you ever going to fall in love with a God that you can't see and you don't know? Fall in love with Jesus. Why? Because He's a beautiful representation of what you need to know. What does the Father think? What does God think? I don't, I don't know, just go ask Jesus. What does Jesus think? Right? The fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's an easier way to say that. We say it every Christmas emmanuel god is with us that's the point he became flesh and dwelt among us he came from there down here and everything's changed since right okay for in him the full whole fullness of deity dwells bodily look at the next verse 10 and you have been filled in him whoa hold on who's pouring into you god himself is pouring into you. That's why he can challenge you to grow up. Why? Because he's pouring nutrients by the gallon right into your spirit. He's doing everything around you going, come on, kids, we can do this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Right? And he's sitting there building you up and massaging your muscles and getting you in the gym. And he's doing everything going, man, there's nothing more I could possibly do for you. So when I tell you, when I challenge you, you got to grow up, it's because I'm doing it all with you. I'm not telling you go grow up and then come back to me. I'm telling you, just stick with me, kid. We got this right. And he is the head of all rule and authority. There's no one else. You're not going to go above Jesus's head. You're not going to go out there and fight another authority. Well, Jesus, you need to answer to fairness or you need to no. He is the standard of all things. He's it. The other thing that's interesting is that he is the head of the body. That means whatever happened to him happened to us right? Because we all realize that our brains are the command center of our bodies. Yeah. So if our brain says we need to move, then we move. So whatever happens to the brain really happens to us. In other words, all the stuff that Jesus went through, we, as his body have gone through, you say, what do you mean? Uh, That's the rest of the message. Take a look at this verse 11 starts out a little weird in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of christ what in the world why are we back in circumcision why has it always got to go there it's just weird it, uh, it's uh, uh, let's talk about foreskin again oh that's awesome praise the lord whatever uh, now the bible's bringing it up i'm not bringing it up what I'm telling you is that the idea is this is a big deal to the Jews, man. From Abraham, the idea was that they had the foreskin removed, so it was this, this mark, this symbol that they would be the Jews, that they were set apart for the Lord, that they were his special and chosen people, right? And, and so all my Christianity, I've wrestled with this thing because it just seems so weird and bizarre, right? And Because I'm thinking a couple things. One is why would you use that as a mark? It only is on 50 percent of your people would you agree i mean it doesn't include any of the women so are they not jews how do you tell if they're jews right i mean it doesn't even apply to half your whole people that's a terrible idea if we're trying to get all and then the other thing is is there a more hidden mark you're not supposed to see those parts It'd be a lot easier if you wore a big cone hat with like a little doily on the top or something. That would be awesome. Or just a big mark on your forehead. But this hole, I got to trust you, dude. It just seems weird to me. But I learned, you know, and so along the way, I've kind of learned a bunch of different reasons why it is. And I don't want to go into all those. I want to go into the fresh material that I recently learned, which I thought was pretty powerful. Check this out. And this is another one of those light bulb. Bing! right? Here's the thing, you put the mark on the very area that is used for procreation because what you're doing, and they believe that life came through the male. that's why, and the idea was you mark the male in the area where you produce because whatever you produce should be set apart for God. You all tracking with me? That's powerful, yeah? And you're like, oh yeah, that is a good idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not for the eight day old boy. It ain't a good idea, (laughs) but check this out. You go, well, okay. So that that's good for the Jews. That's cool. And we've been grafted into their family. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And we talk about that here and God's not done with the Jewish people, all that stuff. But here's the deal. What about the Gentiles? The Gentiles don't have that. And the majority of us are Gentiles here. And so it's kind of like, well, what do we do? Is that really circumcision? Is that for us and all that? Every Jew knew there was two levels of circumcision. One was a physical national Israel. The other one was Israel of the heart. If you were circumcised of your heart, it meant that in your heart, you were marked out for God. It wasn't just a fleshly thing. It was an all in thing. Well, that's where we get grafted in. We're not grafted into national Israel. We're grafted into spiritual Israel. That becomes our family. And so what ends up happening there is you go, what about Gentiles? What do they get? I got to tell you this. This is intense. We get something far bigger than circumcision. What is it? It's called baptism. Look at the next line. Having been buried with him in in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What is more powerful than having a piece of your body cut, your whole body dead and raised back to life? In other words, yeah, you're right. That is a cool marking, but I will tell you what's even better. Complete death and burial and raising back up in all newness of life. That means it doesn't matter. That's why Paul was like circumcision. Who cares, dude, you died. Like it doesn't matter what's on your body or not on your body. You completely died with Jesus and you have been raised brand new. Wow. Okay. Now we're talking about that's how we get into the family of God. But here's another interesting thing while we're being awkward. (laughs) Did you all realize that Jesus left the tomb naked? And it's not something you normally think about, but here's, here's the thing. Here's why it's so important. Because when the, when the guys got into the tomb, what did they find folded up his clothes? Why? Because technically he could have been like, Hey, Gabriel, can you throw those out for me? Right? I mean, it's not like he was like, Oh, I forgot those. He left them there on purpose. Why? Because it was a symbol to his people. That is stuff attached to this world. I don't need it anymore. And, and so here's what I would suggest and make it practical for you. The stuff of this world you don't need, let me give you an example. Insecurity. You don't need it anymore. Why? Because God has said that you're precious and you're valuable. A broken identity, you don't need it anymore. Leave it in the grave. Why? Because you know who you are as a child of God. A a tore up past, you don't need that anymore. That has to do with this world. That's not where we're headed. Jesus Christ has made you new. Do you understand what I'm saying? Over and over and over again, he's saying, listen, there's a lot of the stuff in this world you've got to leave behind. We're walking in newness. How did he do all this stuff? This is what's so powerful. Here we go, verse 13. Verse 13, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. What does that mean? It means when Adam and Eve choked... All of humanity is going down. Meaning the fact that you're a human means you are errant. The fact that you are human means that you are doomed to die. So you were dead once. And then once you got old enough to make your own decisions, you started confirming the fact that you're a little rebel. You started seeing the sign that says, do not cross this line and you trespass it. And you became a sinner in practicality. So you were dead as being a human. Now you're dead as being a sinner. You were dead, dead, and Jesus made you alive. How do you do that? That's what the Bible says. Look at this. It says, by having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So here's what you are looking at in Greek is that back then there was there was writing instruments that were not like our paper. When you write on our paper, the ink soaks in. Back then they had stuff where the ink and what they would use would sit on top. So you could come in with a wiping agent or like like water in a rag and go e, 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 and just clean it off. And it's completely clear and you can use it again. There's no record of what used to be on there. So what it's saying is that when you get re- rescued by Jesus, he comes in and wipes clean your entire IOU record, all of your sins. He wipes it completely clean. And you're like, dang, that is awesome. Yeah, God, you're cool. Okay. But there's more to it because then you ask the next question, but what if I start writing on it again? Right, what if I start writing sin, sin 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 all over it? What do I do with that? Well, take a look at the next verse. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What does that mean? He completely transformed and removed the law. That means you can't get busted for the rules if the rules don 't apply to you anymore. He killed. Them in other words, he put them on the cross nailed them on the cross. They are now crucified. Therefore, there is no code that stands against you and you go He can't do that. That's not fair. Obviously, what's fair is that we would all die for our sins. That's why grace is such a big deal, but The reason he could do it is that jesus fulfilled it Someone did die. Someone did pay for it. Someone did go that extra length. So it's not like he's skirting around it. He went right through it. And sure enough, he said, I will take all that heat. I will take all that hell. I will take all that separation for you. Therefore, not only did I erase your name, not only did I take that code, I fulfilled it and i wrecked it and i shut it down on the cross now it's dead and buried so no one's got anything on you amen and you go yeah but what about if an enemy starts doing more because the enemy was the one that screwed up adam and eve in the first place and he causes all the problems read the next verse verse 15 And on that cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There you go. And by the way, in case the enemy tries to come back and hold something over your head, he not only has nothing to accuse you with because your record is clean, because Jesus' righteousness was imputed to you, not only is your record clean, not only is the law fulfilled, but even the enemy is broken. In other words, he can't even amass a big fight to go against you because Jesus put him in open shame. And when it says open shame, it means it went worldwide that he got beat down. In other words, he can't hide that from people. It's written in black and white all over the world, right? So now there's a public book, best-selling book of all time, now that says Satan got beat. Amen? Amen? That word there in Greek means to strip a, a, a defeated soldier of all their armor, of all their weapons, all their dignity and honor, and say, you don't own me anymore. So I don't, I'm not sure what you heard today, but I'm praying it's not condemnation. God's got us. God's got us. Amen. That's what we heard. Praise God. Yeah? That's what I'm saying. God's got us because, because here's the thing, should there be a conviction to say, love God more, run with him more, live it every day, let him pour into you, be in that process of discovery, put away, you go, well, why am I still struggling with sin? If Jesus did all that stuff, why am I still struggling with sin? I got to tell you this, your beautiful cleansed spirit is still inside an unredeemed humanity package. It's messing with us. we got all kinds of habits that are messed up. And so we got to unlearn those. And so we got to put that stuff away and choose Jesus. And not choose self. So yeah, I'm not telling you it's easy. What I'm telling you is there's nothing more Jesus needs to do to make you clean. So please, whenever condemnation crawls into your head, can you please replace it where there is no condemnation? for me in Christ Jesus can I have the prayer team come on up here let's close this thing out Uh, you know that this altar is always open for whatever needs you may have that is physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological whatever it may be I want you to be able to come up here and receive prayer for it because I believe that God heals today I believe that God gives breakthrough in his house But there's a special group that I would like to invite up, and that is any of you that have been under that weight of condemnation or experienced what I experienced in the car yesterday. If you've got this inner dialogue that is constantly telling you, you might as well give up because you're nothing like what Pastor Lance was talking about. Here's, you go, I don't know what I would say if I went up there. I'm going to give you the line. You ready? It's going to be easy. You walk up and you go, man, I've really been having some heavy condemnation lately. And then the person who's going to pray is goes, I got it. And they begin to pray a washing over you and just saying, Lord, would you remind them of the truth? Holy Spirit, would you remind them of truth? Maybe afterwards they can go, are you a believer? Do you know Jesus? Maybe they could ask you a simple question of, are you walking with the Lord? But really, they're not, they're not here to give you advice. They're here to pray breakthrough in your life. So if that is you, the altar is open to you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are glorious. Your love is unequalled, and we're super thankful for it. Um, Jesus, the extent to which you set us free—your word even says, "Whoever you set free, is free indeed." I don't. I don't know all of how you did it but we're thankful holy spirit we need you desperately we know that you're engaging with us and you're guiding us into all truth and and we're really kind of resistant learners thank you for your patience thank you for your kindness but i i just pray right now god that you would lighten our hearts Put us in awe again of what you've done. Open our eyes so we can see our hearts that we can receive the power of your transformation. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.